Hey, everybody, it's Scott Bertram and Christian Schneider with our very first cold open, because in the time since we recorded this interview with Siobhan Fallon, great news about her upcoming movie, Shelter in Solitude. It's been picked up by AMC and Regal in theaters. The new official release date for the film we're going to talk about in this interview later on, Shelter in Solitude, is now October 6th. So look for Shelter in Solitude in theaters October 6th. So let that be a lesson to anyone who wants to come on the Wasn't That Special podcast. If you are a guest, only good things will happen to you. All your all your dreams will come true. Recorded a few weeks ago in multiple locations, it's Wasn't That Special. Hello, friends. Welcome into another episode of Wasn't That Special, 50 Years of SNL. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter or X at Scott Bertram. Christian Schneider also standing by. He is at Schneider underscore CM. You can find the show at wasn'tthatspecial.com or on X at 50 Years of SNL, five zero years of SNL. And Christian, this is a special episode. In fact, the first voice that is not one of our two voices is on this show. Yeah, this is exciting. We have a guest. How about that? Somebody (laughs) wants to talk to us. (laughs) Somehow we've made this happen. Uh, We are very pleased to welcome on to the show uh, Siobhan Fallon Hogan, writer, producer, uh, and also actress. You might know her since this is an SNL podcast, from the 17th season of Saturday Night Live, 1991-1992. She's also been in a slew of TV shows like Seinfeld, Billions, 30 Rock, Law & Order. She's been in films like uh, Forrest Gump and Holes, and most recently Clifford the Big Red Dog. She has her own film she's worked on as well. We'll talk about both of those coming up in a bit, including a new one soon, Shelter in Solitude. That's a big wind-up. To welcome in our guest on the program, Siobhan Fallon Hogan. Siobhan, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We are pleased to talk about a little SNL and talk a little about the movies and your career in entertainment. It's an SNL podcast, so I want to start with an SNL question, which is when someone says that to you, you know, you've been on SNL, what do you what what thought first jumps to mind? You spent a season on SNL, season 17. When you think of SNL, what are the first memories that come to your mind? Well, number one, um, being on the show opened up so many doors for me. So I'm really grateful about that for film and television. But also, I made great friends there and I had a great time. Actually, um, that was the year that I met my husband and got engaged. So I think of that, too, and all that rugby players used to bring to my dressing room and violate the rules of how many people you could bring. So I, it was just a great time. And um, I'm really just grateful for the opportunity. I wanted to ask a somewhat technical question about that season. And you mentioned a senior class and sort of a junior class of cast members. You were a featured player that year. And so was Spade and Sandler and Rob Schneider and Melanie Hutzel and others. Um, Besides pay, which you, of course, do not have to talk about. I'm just curious about the difference between the full cast member and a featured player in terms of responsibility and assignments. Are you expected to be there as often as the the full cast members? What's the differentiation between cast member, featured player? There honestly was no difference. It was just the label, really. It was like, well, you guys are new, so we're going to call you this. And we've been here longer, so we're going to call you this. But it had nothing to do with how much playtime or 
screen time or a- anything like that. It, 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 or obligations. It was equal across the board. It was just kind of a name. It was kind of like, you know, there's the freshmen and there's, and we're the seniors, basically. <laughs> and then when you, uh, when writers write and they have these sketches, are the writers the ones who are casting the, their own sketches? Are they, are, are there other people who help them decide who is best for these particular roles? Is it up to the individual writer of those sketches to reach out to you and say, hey, Siobhan, you'd be great uh, playing, right. playing a judge in this sketch or something else? <laughs> okay, well, here, here's the shocking thing when you arrive at Saturday Night Live. Everyone is expected to write. So I was like, dear God. So anyway, <laughs> everyone's, everyone's considered a writer. Everyone has, but there are the writers who don't, aren't on the show. But occasionally they would even, you know, pop on like Al Franken. But um, so everyone's expected to write. And no, you cast your own, you cast your own, um, whoever's the writer picks whoever they're going to put in the, in, the, in the sketch. From what we've read about the show, what happens a lot of times is a new cast member will join uh, and then immediately team up with someone else uh, to write. Is there somebody that you met immediately there and kind of teamed up with? And Well, uh, I was write? my my um, my office mate was Alan Cleghorn. But, oh. you know, we did the Delta Delta Girls with Melanie Hutzel was new. And so we did that together. The young, you know, kind of like the new young, younger girls were all sort of together and then I became great friends with Spade and um, and Farley, and we hung around with and Chris and Adam. So you know, it was kind of like you know, it's sort of like the younger crew, and the, would kind of like hang out together. It was kind of whoever you became friends with, basically. But then other people would pull you in. You know what I mean? So you were actually on SNL recently, uh, within the last couple of years. You were uh, uh, the host was Kieran Culkin. Oh, he was, he was talking about <laughs> his time on the show thirty years before. Yes, uh, not not the date. All of us, um, <laughs> and I was the nun in the, when Macaulay and Kieran were the were the little kids. Right, Macaulay's sketch was that he was the uh, Rob Schneider's copier guy uh, as a yes. child, and you were the nun in the classroom. And his little brother Kieran was also in the sketch. Yes, uh, sharpening a pencil while. Uh, yeah, while, they were adorable. They were yeah. so cute. Um, I loved kids. I have three kids now; they're older, but um, yeah, so they were adorable. You know what I mean? They were just little kids, and they had no idea, and you know, it was just kind of fun and. And it's just so interesting because now Karen's on uh, succession and it's like, <laughs> you know, you know, at the time you're like, oh, well, he's just the little brother of Macaulay. And now he's, you know, he's a fabulous actor. Right. When he was like six years old, you didn't see greatness in him at all. <laughs> I, <laughs> that, uh, I did find the greatness, you see, because I was <laughs> so, but um, yeah, no, but they were so cute. Speaking of succession, do people call you Shiv now? Is that like a, is that like a fashionable name? My, my whole name, like no one ever knew my name. Growing up, my father, I'm one of five, and my father used to put on the tax returns, marrying her little sister, and then the other kid's <laughs> names. And then I I have a Sinead, one of my daughters named Sinead, because I was like, if I went through life spelling my name and sounding it out uh. for people, she's going to too. But now, yeah, now there's Siobhan. <laughs> my last name is, well, my maiden name was Fallon, Fallon Hogan. And there's like Fallon's. So like my name is suddenly popular. Like <laughs> Literally, I never met a Siobhan my entire life till my little sister, <laughs> Megan, went to Boston College. She's seven years younger than me, and your roommate was Siobhan. And I was like, I've never been able to say hi, Siobhan. <laughs> Different than the mirror. <laughs> I imagine there are going to be a lot of Siobhan's uh, named and born in the next couple of years just because of that show. It's amazing. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah. So we're watching back for uh, the podcast. Wasn't that special to the first uh, years of SNL? Now we're starting at the beginning and moving forward. And one of the things that Christian and I talked about last episode is the fact that on this, on the initial cast, they're all... Or oh. actors, there are no stand-up people. By the time we get to your era on the show, it's essentially reversed. There are uh, tons yes. of stand-up people 
and fewer actors. You come from that acting background. When it comes exactly. to the show, what are the strengths and maybe weaknesses of coming to it from an actress, actor, actress standpoint and coming to it from a stand up standpoint? Okay. So standups are really tough. I mean, actors have to be tough. It's like a tough life. And it's a weird life to pick. And I always say to my kids, if you can't think of anything, <laughs> think of anything else to do, do it. But, um, so the deal is that standups are tough because, you know, they have to go from club to club and they have to be really hard shell. But a big difference is that the cue cards. So I'm an actress and I'm not comfortable with cue cards. I want to know my lines and memorize them where I found pretty much across the board, the standups kind of depend more on the cue card and they're pretty comfortable not uh, having things memorized. But um, so there is a pretty big difference you know, in that, and, 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 you know, a lot of times the stamps, of course, they do very well with the, with the, um, weekend update, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because that's, that's just them being them. So they're, they're more comfortable being themselves. Whereas I feel like the actors are more comfortable playing different roles. That's like, like Phil Hartman was so good because he, um, he could play so many different characters. You know, yes. there used to be like a million wigs and he just pop in and out of wigs and then switch voices. And, you know, that was the deal. You have kind of a, when you're an actor, or character actor like myself, kind of have a bag of tricks and just whip on an accent or a limp or lisp or something. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said in a... Try to avoid playing yourself. Well, I want to ask about that because you said in a previous interview, you like pretending that you're someone else. You like hiding behind a character. Aykroyd yeah. said that all the time when he was on the show. He he didn't want to do Weekend Update. He didn't want to be right, no. Dan Aykroyd. He wanted to be a character. He wanted to be Absolutely. playing someone else. Does that make it tougher to, to break through or to, to get a hook on the show when you are not yourself, when you're constantly sort of uh, getting into character and, and sort of not becoming invisible, but, but um, diving into a character? I don't think that's not hard, but I think that, you know, like I, I was never going to say like fight for myself. Like a standup is, is more like, you know, like they can ha- if the audience comes back and they hackle them like what the hell. But, you know, an, an actor, I feel like, you know, give me the role. And I'll make the role work, or this, or the the character, and it's it's just much much less of a cutthroat business. I don't mm-hmm. know if that answers the question right, but if that makes sense. So one of the things that we we said that we're doing, we're going season by seasons. We've done the first three seasons so far. You obviously didn't show up until season seventeen. Do you have any specific memories of those first few seasons, or the first cast, or oh, anything yes. that, I mean, that inspired you? Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I loved Gilda Radner. And so she was a giant inspiration and oddly Lorraine Newman, who I then became friends with when I lived in LA and actually my new movie um, that's coming out shelter and solitude, you know, there's going to be a lot of SNL people at the, one of the screenings in LA and Lorraine, and I haven't seen Lorraine in years because you know, she's West coast, I'm East coast. But um, so, you know, those women in Jane Curtin, I actually did a, a pilot with years ago and Henry Winkler was in it, which is so crazy. And then, it, and then I played Henry Winkler's wife in holes. So, you know, it's all this, you know, when you're in it this long, you know, you're almost like walk, sometimes you'll be walking down the street in New York city and someone's like, Oh, hi, Siobhan. I'm like, what the hell did I work with you? In? I can't even remember. You know, you worked, some people you worked with several times, but you know, and that's why I always tell these young actors, I'm like, look, what goes around comes around. So don't, so treat people kindly because they're going to turn up again. If they, if they're, if they're talented at what they do. 
you mentioned the new movie. Let's talk a little about that and your yeah. previous film too. Uh, Siobhan Fallon Hogan with us. You can find her on Instagram. Uh, Siobhan Fallon Hogan is where to find her there. Uh, the new film is called Shelter in Solitude. You filmed it in New York State, uh, right near Syracuse in, in near, near your hometown. Yeah. Tell us about Shelter in Solitude and how all of that came together. I can't fathom the number of pieces that have to come together to pull off a feature-length film like this? Well, as I said, I have three kids and my youngest was going off to college about four years ago. And I was like, what in God's name? It's, it's fabulous to be an actress when you have kids because, you know, when you're not doing a, a movie or a, or a show, you're home with your kids and you're kind of entertaining them. So anyway, but once my daughter was going, my last kid was going off to college, I was like, what in God's name am I going to do with myself? So I thought, well, I've been in enough movies I will, I might as well write one. So I wrote Rushed, which came out in 2021 um, and did very well and is on Amazon and all those streamers now. So then, and I worked with um, this director, Vibeka Musai, who's from Denmark mm -hmm. and Robert Patrick, you know, who's the Terminator and so many roles over the years. He's a fabulous actor. We've been friends for years. And then um, Dan Castellaneta, who's the uh, Homer Simpson, as everyone knows. And uh, Peter Macon, who's this fabulous actor. So my dad was a lawyer and um, he would always tell us about these clients he had that were in prison. So I was kind of obsessed with thinking, what do they do all day in there? <laughs> so anyway, so I, I, this, this idea came to me and I, I, and I, and my dad always wanted me to be a country singer as well. And so it's about a wannabe country singer whose bar gets shut down. She performed in, in Nashville once my sisters, when I tell the story like this, they go, when you say she performed, you're talking about your own character. That's so weird. But anyway, <laughs> so um, so it's like she performed in Nashville once and she's kind of this washed up wannabe country singer and loses her job and ends up working at the prison and guarding a guy that has 10 days left to live. So what I what I did with and, and rushed the same way is, you know, I write the script, I send it out to um, actors. And then when they like it, I then go to investors that I, I, I know and ask if they want to put money in. And then I start... You know, I went, I, it's in Syracuse. So I grew up here and I got locations, the jail, this bar. And then I start literally putting on Facebook, hey, I have actors and crew coming to town. Does anybody want to house people? And so it's like a, it's like the circus coming to town. <laughs> so anyway, um, it's coming out in theaters across the country on September 29th, but we're having a big premiere in Nashville on September 26th because we have these amazing country singers. My son, Peter Hogan, who's actually in the movie, playing a young cop. He's hilarious. Um, he's also a music supervisor. So he put us in touch with Justin Biltonen from Three Doors Down and Todd Cameron. We have these amazing songs um, that we I recorded singing out in Nashville. And so the, the premiere is going to be there, but we're doing a big screening in LA on the 16th. Are there complications? We we, we know about the strike that's, that's affecting the industry right now with After yeah. SAG. So how does that affect you? How does that affect the promotion of the movie? How does that affect anything with rolling out Shelter in Solitude? Well, luckily, um, I raised money from all my wealthy friends. And so I didn't take any money from a studio. Mm. So that's like doesn't it doesn't affect us that's independence that's that's the power of independence that's right, <laughs> that's right. and kevin smith i'm actually going to be in his movie um coming up and he lives near me in new jersey and you know i learned i mean for over the years you kind of like pick up what works for other people and and i did a lot of Lars von Trier movies in, in denmark and you know these were all independents and i've done big i've done the big studio movies and i've done the independents 
And the, the beauty of the independence is like, I'm the writer of both Rushed and Sheltered Solitude. Mm -hmm. And I've been in the big studio movies where, you know, like, say like Charlotte's Web and you're in Australia and you're doing this movie and it's got, you know, Dakota Fanning and Julia Roberts and all these people. And um, basically, you know, you got honest to God, like five people calling from Paramount saying, I don't like that apron. You know, so then this fabulous costume, costume designer who's got these great ideas, like those are out the window. And then you hear, oh, you know, that one producer who was like 35 from from L.A., she got fired. So and you're like, oh, well, that's too bad because the apron was really cool to be used that we got rid of. So anyway, but my point is that, you know, in the old days, um, the director, writer, you know, you had so much more control. And when you do an independent film, you have a lot of control. So it's, mm -hmm. it's great. So then you have a pure idea. This is your second film. Rush was the first one you acted as a writer, producer, and star for. What did you learn by doing Rushed that you did a little differently, perhaps, on Shelter and Solitude? Well, oddly, I hired the same director back, the same cinematographer, Matthias Schubert, which we won um, the Boston Film Festival Best Cinematography, and I won... Well, I don't want to brag, but I won Best Actress. But anyway, so... You can brag, it's okay. Because, because the director's great, and she directed me great, and it's... Sabina Miliani is from France and she is our editor and she, you know, she did March of the Penguin. She's fabulous. So you, but I see, I had worked with a lot of these people over the years. So I, I just kind of, and Robert Patrick, you know, brought him back, my son back, of course. I'd worked with Dan Castellaneta years ago in LA. We were friends over the years. We did this Harvey Peacock, we did American Splendor. So you have this kind of like stable of people that you're like, these people are amazing, incredible people that you can not, you can count on them creatively, artistically, they're, 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 I won't say the word normal cause I'm not normal, but they're steady, dependable people with great work ethics. And then what did I learn? Well, I'll tell you, um, like marketing and that kind of thing. Well, first of all, shelter and solitude came out just when COVID ended. Mm -hmm. And so, um, theaters, people weren't going back to the theaters. So now we're really lucky cause you know, now sound of freedom and and um, Barbie and and um, Oppenheimer, people are flocking back to the theaters. So we're in a in a good spot, you know. And I mean, I mean, we're from it's going to be playing from you know Boston to Oklahoma City to South Dakota. It's all over the country. So it's 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 much more exciting in the fact that we we have this great marketing team and we know we know what we're doing much more. You know what I mean? As far as marketing mm -hmm. goes, I would say. Yeah, there, there's no thought about recutting it to add a Barbie character, maybe. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a funny story about that. Why is Oppenheimer um, in this movie? <laughs> I literally went to Barbie by myself because my kids wouldn't go with me. And I had no idea that people dressed up and I wore a pink sweatshirt and I had no clue. And I really only wore it because it was a sweltering day and I knew that it would be really, really hot and I mean, really cold in the theater. So I thought, let me just grab this sweatshirt, which happened to be my daughter's. And, and, and I, I, well, anyway, I looked like an idiot. I looked like I was a, <laughs> like a weird groupie. Wait, by the way, sitting by myself. Well, so you've been in a bunch of those big blockbuster movies. Like I, I was telling Scott beforehand, it's fortuitous that you were in, or ironic that you were in uh, Forrest Gump because you are kind of a Forrest Gump of the movie culture industry. You show up in all of these. I, I'm like the thing. Done. I'm like the thing that won't go away. <laughs> you know, I just did the movie. Um, Eileen, that was a big Sundance hit with Anne Hathaway and um, um, Thomas McKenzie and William Oldroyd. Uh, he he directed it anyway. And I think the guy wrote in Vanity Fair, like something like Siobhan Fallon 
with very few lines. <laughs> but sometimes I'm like, well, whatever you do, don't blink in some of the movies, but beyond grateful. You know what I mean? As long as they say a few lines, but own the movie. Ah, you, yes, exactly. in, you threw fire and it was exactly <laughs> as long as you had to mention. Um, so working on these big, you know, these huge movies, what is the one thing that you kind of took from um, some of the directors, some of the producers that you were able to put in Shelter and Solitude? Well, I, um, number one, you treat your crew great. And number two, you feed your crew great because <laughs> the crew is the backbone. And from work, doing um, the movies in Denmark, they do them completely differently than over here, which is there's no above the line and below the line, meaning like you're standing on the, the lunch line and the prop guy walks by. You don't budge ahead of the, you know, the producer. It's like all for one and one for all. So I treat my people like that. I'm like, we are all in this together from the lowest guy in the totem pole to the highest guy in the totem pole. And really you could switch it around. It should be the same. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then of course you have to have a great cinematographer because people have to be able to watch something beautiful and locations. So I love looking for locations and in my next life, I wouldn't mind coming back as a location scout because it's one of these things where if you don't have a big budget and you see someone's like, say for real, I was at someone's baby shower in their really cool garage. And like up here, you know, a lot of people canoe in the Adirondacks and that kind of thing. And I was like, oh, and they're like, so Siobhan, you, you, you know, I was like, oh, we're, you know, the, it was this beautiful outdoor shower with a tent. It's definitely my, ne- my nephew's um, wife <laughs> and my sister, it's my sister's in-laws. And actually like, or, Whatever you do, Siobhan, please don't ask him for a favor. So I'm like, oh, hi. Um, well, the, the pie's really good, but I love your garage. It'd be perfect for my movie. And she, they're like, people are like, sure. I mean, people love to have your their houses and things in their movies. So I'm like, I'm like, be careful. Don't say like, hey, let anything I can do to help. Cause I'm like, really? Could I have your house? Or if not, could someone stay there? You know, so um, yeah. We, we, we talked earlier about the power of independence when it comes to your films, but you've always acted as an independent body when it comes to your acting career, too. Uh, you're Catholic. You have turned down roles that conflicted with your values and your faith. Uh, you, you have uh, exited roles uh, where the plot has gone somewhere you did not want to go. I guess I'm curious because as an, as an actor, as an actress, you're always, you know, you're always pretending you're always being someone you're not in some way. Right. So, so for you, where, and how do you draw that line between, or, you know, between something you, you will do for, for, right. for a character and something that goes just too far? Honestly, it's just your, my gut and my kids and, 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 and my, and my inner, inner, like, I'm like, okay, this is, this is, I'm comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable, with whatever. I mean, like I've, I've been on TV, like a TV show that was really popular. And I really loved it. I was like, oh, this is great. Being a series, you know, this is great. But then they completely change the character. And then you go to a place that I'm not comfortable in my, in what I, um, I accept. And, and I'm like, oh, I need to talk to the producer. Well, an actor calling a producer is like a, a sixth grader calling in the principal of the high school and be like, hey, listen, um, listen, it's not going to fly the way you're running, the way you're running, um, you know, recess, I don't think it's nice uh, with the way the kids are playing kickball. And they'd be like, you know, listen, you know, you're making pretty good money. You really, and I'm like, I'm out of here. But anyway, so, um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror. So um, I, and you know, it's great now because now, you know, if, I, if you write your own material, you know, you're this desperate actress who's like, well, if I better do this, because if I don't, then my agent won't like me and then they'll be mad at me and I better, and it's like, who cares? I really don't care. I want to do great work and 
you know, be proud of it. So that's the deal. Yeah, I'm Catholic too. And I wish I was that good of a Catholic. Um, I'm not that good. I'm not that good. I just want to rot in hell. <laughs> there's a story out there that uh, on SNL, there's a famous sketch, the Il Cantori sketch. Oh, yeah. Uh, where the, it's an Italian restaurant where all the waiters yeah. do kind of these ribald things. And yeah. you were asked to be in that and said no. True or false? True. I, I listen. And I, if you watch it, you can see why. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I get the call. You know, the, everything is nocturnal. With SNL. And um, I get a call and like, hey, you know that, that sketch? Yeah. So you're going to be the girl on the table that, uh, <laughs> that that simulates, you know what? So I'm like, hey, listen, I got a father who like, like, like he like looks like Tip O'Neill. And um, he is really should have been an actor. He was freaking hilarious. But he ruled with an iron fist. And I respected him so much. And I was like, number one, I, I don't want to end up dead. <laughs> and number two, I'm not doing that. So I was just like. And that's the funny thing. Like, it's like the power of no, you know what I mean? It's like people respect that. And, um, they were very respectful about it, respectful about it. And I just, I was like, I'm not doing something that I don't, I don't, you know, that I'm not comfortable with. Another Irish Catholic on the show was Chris Farley, who oh, yeah. in the Tanner Colby book, you say you, you guys would go to church, uh, on Sundays together. And sometimes he wasn't in the best of shape <laughs> for church. He was um, hilarious. So what was your was, relationship like? Yeah. So we were from such a, a similar background. I mean, you know, he's for a big Irish Catholic family. I'm from a family of five. His father was tough and funny. My father was tough and funny. We were both totally, you know, like would go to mass every Sunday and we would be, and we would have gone out the night before to the party <laughs> till all hours, like pretty, like pretty much like go to the party somehow. Like we met, my, I met my husband that year I, because of Chris, because I liked my husband, but he didn't, he didn't like me. But anyway, so I knew where he lived and we, we, we rang the, well, we, well, Chris and I rang the, um, <laughs> and spade with us. We rang the doorbell and he's like, wake up. And so like, then we woke them all up. There was all these, my husband played New York rugby. We ran all the way through, but, but in mass, um, Chris would be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, like we w- would both have that Irish guilt of like, I hope I didn't screw up too much at the party last night. <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing. <laughs> it seems like he wouldn't dazzle in the writer's room, actually writing, putting pen to paper, but everybody oh. on the show at the time says he's hands down the funniest guy. The contest oh. is just for who's number two. Just listen. There's people that are funny in characters. Chris was funny across the board as a person, a human being. I mean, hilarious and self-deprecating and a, an unbelievable person. Like, you know, when he passed, um, of course, the whole world was heartbroken and, and so were all his friends, his family, naturally. But I will never forget um, St. Malachy's is this actor's church in New York City, um, a Catholic church. They call it the actor's church because all the actors went there. And... Um, you would expect like a celebrity to get up and talk about him. And this whole, this shut in man who must be long gone by now, he was probably like in his eighties said, Chris used to bring meals to him and, you know, talk with him and encouragement. He was just a great guy. And so damn funny. Like he, we would have this thing where we go, uh, like we go hi slightly. We call each other slightly, hi slightly, hi slightly. And that's, Slightly much, like how did like in other words, like how did I I think I was slightly much. I think I <laughs> like I, I mean because Chris would be like, you know, people would be like, well, you know, there's this book, you know, and I read it, and it's about, you know, it's Plato said, and people try to like impress each other, and people are like, 
you know, that's where Chris would come up with, well, I'm not much of a reader per se. And I mean, it would get to me and I'd <laughs> God. And, and, and a lot of the hosts, and we'd be jammed in like Lauren's office was really small and like the host would be there. And if the host was really nice, but I mean, a lot of times the hosts are really, you know, they're under a lot of pressure too. So if they're not comfortable, they could get a little rude mm-hmm. and be like, oh my God, my turn's coming up. You just could not believe it. Like what's going on inside your head, like, my God, my God, three more. It's my turn. I have to tell my idea and be like, I don't have an idea. I'm just going to think of something. And then we'd be like, we got me like, how'd you do? I don't know. I think I was slightly, I was slightly too. I was slightly much. <laughs> and then we used to say, we used to say, nah, what'd you think of sounds like? Not naturally. And that meant like, not naturally funny. Like they were like, <laughs> like they're like really funny actors, but a not naturally, like you wouldn't want to be stuck next to them at a dinner party. Right. So you mentioned some of the hosts. That season, wow. There are oh, some, some heavy hitters. Who were who are the hosts that you looked at and were like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm actually speaking to this person? I mean, Steve Martin, of course. I love right. him. Yes. Um, and then and then musical guests. I mean, I think of this one time. I'm I'm I I'm um going away from your story, but I have to tell this. So yeah. this thing came around, um, I believe it was Sharon Stone that was gonna be on, and we got this um a memo, you know, cause now there's no, there was no emails or text or anything. So everybody got something in their dressing room saying, look, um, there could be some, some reaction from PETA cause something about fur coats or something, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. mad. Everybody's always mad about something. <laughs> and anyway, So you could only bring two guests, which was always the way anyway. But as I said before, you could bring as many people as you wanted to your dressing room, which my husband, I wasn't married yet. I was just dating my husband. We got engaged that year, but he would practically bring the entire rugby team, which Ellen Clegg, who I love, we, we would literally be like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. I need to get to the bathroom. So I have to change into a different costume. If you don't mind moving your, your beer out of my sink. <laughs> anyway, so Bruce Springsteen was on that night and my parents were my two guests that were on the floor and only my husband and his brother came to my dressing room because we're allowed to. Have... Anyway, so nobody was allowed to go to the floor unless you had tickets on the floor. So Bruce Springsteen strums one chord and my husband's like a huge fan and from <laughs> they lived in New York City but they moved to Rumson, New Jersey and all of a sudden my husband and his brother they look at each other like two lunatics and they take off like two bats out of hell and I'm like in like these high stiletto heels for some ridiculous part I was about to do <laughs> and I'm like chasing after them I'm thinking I'm like it's like four shows in and I'm like and it's you know the, the red light's rolling so you gotta be quiet I'm like guys guys I'm like hey you know this is my job you know don't please please and they go onto the floor and I'm like what the hell and then Bruce Springsteen's like I remember it was like um what the hell is the song it was um, I'm going down lucky town down, down, lucky. and he strums the first song and they rush the stage with that the whole audience rushes the stage it's like a crazy concert and my father there's footage and my mother, my father starts fist pumping. Like he's like an attorney in a suit coat. <laughs> suit. And I'm like, oh my God, all hell is broken. It's my entire family and this guy that I think I'm going to marry. But, but, and Lauren was really a, a great sport about it because it was great for the show because everybody was like, well, look at, look at the spontaneity of yeah. someone, you know, anyway. I can so, tell you, I can actually tell you what sketch you were about to go do because we do our research here on the, on the oh, podcast. What was it? You were about to go do Sabra Price is Right. Oh, with, 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 with Tom with, Hanks. With Tom Hanks, which oh, is an so incredible funny. sketch. It's like yes, the second to last sketch you ever did there. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom, Tom was great. And then, of course, I did Forrest Gump. And I remember I was out in L.A. and it was only my second movie I ever did. And I remember like walking in and Tom's like, hi, Shimon. And I was like, hi, Tom. And I was like, inside my head, I was like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Paramount Law. And there's Tom Hanks. And we're friends from SNL. <laughs> <laughs> on that sketch, 
uh, he plays a Middle Eastern man. You couldn't do the sketch today, by the you way. You can't do anything now. Right. So he's he and he's selling uh, stuff on the prices right, except if you bid on it, then you have to actually buy it. Right. Because he's like one of these guys that yes. sells stuff on yes. the street in, in New York City. And at one point you have you're flanked by Tom Hanks and Adam Sandler trying to get you to go to a disco. Uh, and you're, you're this prim, proper woman. Oh, my God. And it's just like, do you ever just, and, you know, Bruce Springsteen's the, the musical guest. Do you ever just think, like, I know. What is my life? Like- I know. That is really weird now that you think of it. I know. And and um, I live in Bruce Springsteen. Well, Bruce Springsteen lived in Rumson, New Jersey, where well, I live there half the time. But yeah. anyway, I know. Isn't it weird? Sometimes I use, no, I'm going to sound like a lunatic saying this, but I've said this to my family. And they're like, <laughs> do not share that with anybody because you sound like certifiable. <laughs> But one time, I, you know, being Catholic and being like a lunatic and, you know, you're, you spend your whole life thinking, I hope I get to heaven. I hope I, I, you know, Catholic. I used to think maybe there's only a thousand people in the world because I don't know how I've ended up meeting all these people and who I really wanted to meet. So maybe, maybe there's really only a thousand people and the rest are extras. And my, my family's like, okay, cuckoo, don't tell that. <laughs> <laughs> Siobhan uh, Fallon Hogan is with us on uh, Wasn't That Special. You can find more about us at wasn'tthatspecial.com and join the project there. And you can find uh, Siobhan on Instagram, uh, Siobhan Fallon Hogan. The biggest guest on that show all season might have been the first host of the season, a guy named oh. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. I have a story about that. So <laughs> I, I want Jordan. you to tell that story. Yes, yes, yes. So it was my first show. And of course, I'm nervous. And Michael Jordan is the host, and which is crazy, right? And so he's nervous. He's nervous because he's not an actor in any way. So it was DeBear's scene. And I was the very <laughs> pivotal role of the waitress. <laughs> and he had to come. So, you know, of course, you rehearse it. And then you then you do it that night in front of a live audience. So so he's like, honestly, he's probably four of me. I mean, I'm not even that short. I'm like five foot six, but he's like four of me. And and we had to stand a lot, you know, while they were rehearsing and setting the cameras for, you know, um, George Went and Chris Farley and all the people on, on stage before we come on. And so he's like, I go, how are you doing? He's like, I'm kind of I'm kind of nervous. And I go, Oh, you are? And I go, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you something. And um because I'm an actress. I go, I'm not, I'm not a stand-up and it will really help you. I've, I said, I've, I've helped a lot of people with, you know, all kinds of things over the years, monologues, that kind of thing. And I, this will really help you. So I, I write down on my waitress pad, I write down, um, don't, don't F up. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, but the key is do not look at this until two seconds before you're ready to go on tonight. <laughs> go keep this in your pocket. I go, trust me, this little thing is going to help you. So cut to it's that night, you know, the live audience there, I'm new, I have no business. And so on I go and I can, now what am I doing looking back? I'm supposed to be in focused. I always love fooling around on stage. Chris Farley and I had that in common. Like if you watch the the massive headroom Harry sketch, just for yes. yeah. sake, we're like talking fooling around on stage. On I love doing that um, for some reason. It's so immature. It's like an eighth grader. But on stage, I love like trying to make other actors laugh or even on TV and film, which is very unprofessional. But anyway. So I look over and I see Michael glance at it and Ani comes like laughing coming on stage. <laughs> well, cut to years later, years later. And of course my family all knows the story and I'm from Syracuse and my brother-in-law's mom had very bad um, um, arthritis. So he's very involved at the Syracuse dome, you know, which is huge and holds 45,000 people in this 
the, the, the charity for that. So Michael Jordan comes one year. I'm, I'm not even there. It has to be at least 10 years later. And of course, everybody's yelling, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. And my brother-in-law's like, Michael Jordan. And he does, doesn't turn around. Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. And he, goes, and, he, and, he, and he says, Stephon Fallon. And he turns around and he goes over to my brother-in-law and he says, how do you know Siobhan Fallon? And he's like, that's my sister-in-law. And then he, he tells him the story. <laughs> so my brother-in-law is an attorney. I just recently heard this part of it. And the next day he has like a big case or something. And the judge says, um, before I, you know, we begin the case, I'd like to have Arthur Bigsby approach the bench. And he goes, can I ask you a question? How'd you get Michael Jordan to talk to you for so long? And then, <laughs> then he relayed the story to him. <laughs> you were in a number of It's Pat sketches. Oh, yeah. Are, are we allowed to laugh at those anymore? Can you imagine? I mean, <laughs> see, I, I think everything's funny, but like, like, like I said, my kids are 21, 25, 28. You, I'll say things I've no idea are completely like not acceptable. They'll be like, mom. And I'm like, what? So no, I don't even know how these people come up with sketches now because who are you supposed to mock? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Can't mock anybody. You were on about as much as you'd expect a new cast member to be on for the first few uh, episodes. Then you get to episode 10, which is Rob Morrow and Nirvana. And you oh, yeah. basically you basically own that that episode. You're on three three sketches before even the musical guest before Nirvana comes on. Uh, I think it's the first Tridelts. Um, yeah, you're all over that episode. So what's it like to? Did you walk away from that show being like, yeah, I just killed it. That's that's where I'm headed. You know what, Rob? First of all, Rob Moore was a great guy. Um, second of all. It is and did you meet Nirvana? I'm excited about that. Oh my God. Oh, I, I am such a music nerd. My kids are always like, mom, like my one daughter. And I was like, I didn't even know who these people were. I was like, I was literally like my mother is, I'm, I'm, I don't I would, I was like into the Bee Gees. I, I had the nerdiest, nerdiest, ridiculous taste of music. And I ended up marrying a guy who like, and my daughter's like has Bob Dylan posters all over her room and like the Grateful Dead. Matter of fact, I had to stay in a room and I had COVID and I would wake up and I'd be like, did I have like a one night stand with like, <laughs> like a burnout? Anyway. Um, but no, so it was insanely nerve wracking because, you know, when you like, I've done a lot of movies and or TV and stage, not, not stage much. I mean, done a lot of stage, but when you do them, you have get to do take after take after take till you know, well, that take was great. And they're going to use that. You know, the director would be like, circle that one, circle that one. But w with SNL, you would walk away and be like, did that go well? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Like it was just like kind of an out of body odd experience. Can you hear people laughing while you're doing yes, it, or are you, are you so people, in your head? You can hear people laughing, and the way the set is, there's certain sets that are better than others. Mm -hmm. Like, so say if you're way over to the right, then only the audience over there can see as much, even though it's on monitors and things. So yeah, you can totally hear the audience. We've got just a, a couple of minutes left here with Siobhan Fallon Hogan, and I need to ask about your appearances on Seinfeld, which oh, yeah. I love. You played Tina, who was Elaine's ex-roommate, uh, uh, girlfriend of Kramer. You're on three episodes, but those three episodes touch parts of three different seasons. And I always think you're on more because you're so good. That is such a memorable character during that Seinfeld era. How do you work on a show like Seinfeld to service the script, but not at the same time sort of angle for more airtime or more episodes. You know what Seinfeld is and you know what it means to, to people and how popular it is. How do you serve the script while not trying to sort of insert yourself into more of the show? 
Well, first of all, I was supposed to do a fourth one, but SNL wouldn't let me out. I was supposed to be in the Mike Tyson fight one, but they were like, no, we need Siobhan. I was like, to do what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, um, okay. Seinfeld was amazing because they work so hard. They worked so hard and they were, you know, I mean, Jerry is hilarious and, you know, obviously he's not an actor. So he'd be like, now, Siobhan, when we, when we, when we do our scenes, I'm not going to look at your face. I'm going to look to the side of your face. It'd be like someone who's almost like cross-eyed and they're like, you're looking at me. So anyway, so it would be so funny because he would burst out, he would start laughing if, you know, if, if, if he looked at me right in the face. <laughs> so, and the writing was so amazing. It was, and see, and so many characters that I've done over the years, like say Men in Black or Seinfeld, I was playing, I was doing this character this girl that I knew from high school on Seinfeld. Like she was like this girl and she always got the guys and she was like, and I was like, guys never liked me. And I was like, and I would, I would, I was like, I'm going to just play it like her. And I'd be like, Hey, Jerry. So I was just basically doing like a character <laughs> of one of my friends. I was doing it, you know, one of my friends, same with men in black. Like I was doing this girl from Syracuse who's, Father owned a carpet shop. And she was like, hi, my name is Debbie. I'm from 60609. So I would just, you know, <laughs> but anyway, so, um, I mean, of course you'd want to be on more, but, you know, you were grateful for what, what I was on. And there were so many great character actors on, on Seinfeld that, you know, they can't give it to, they can't make everybody a regular. Sure. You, there would be, you know what I mean? Sure. You mentioned Henry Winkler. So I've got to ask this. It could be as easy as a yes, no question. Is Henry Winkler as nice as he wants everyone to believe he is? He's the greatest guy. He's the greatest guy. So Henry, um, when we did Holes, called me up at night and he said, we got to get more screen time. And I was like, I'm all in. You're, you're, you're the Fonz. You, you, well, I'll help you come up with ideas. But, but you, you, so anyway, he said, what do you think we should do when, when we're you know, cooking, cook, cooking the shoe? And I said, as a joke, I said, I don't know. Why don't we do a dance? And he's like, Siobhan, that's a great idea. We should do a dance. So, so we did, which was hysterical because Henry Winkler is like, how do we get more screen time? And we're like, you know, just like two actors, you know, it's funny, like actors don't change. Like I also did a movie with Lauren Bacall mm-hmm. um, in Denmark and she was 82 years old and it was the end of the, um, it was called Dogville. It was with um, Nicole Kidman, Ben Gazzara. It was like insane cast. Anyway, and we were walking up to the set one of the last days and she's like, Siobhan, do you think you and I will ever work again? And I'm like, my God, you're 82 years old. But it never goes away, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but Henry also, oddly, crazy story. Um, I went to this little college, Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York. And these two guys, they used to call them the Sicilian brothers, they're from New York City. Their dad taught Henry. Hmm. And Henry, I hope I'm going to tell this right. Henry Lo- they said, would Henry, could I get Henry's autograph for them? Because he was the, his teacher back in the day. So I asked Henry and Henry said, absolutely. He said, because I had dyslexia and he was so kind and wonderful to me. He said, I'll do you one better. When's the birthday party? I told him and he called him. Oh, wow. So he's like a fantastic person. <laughs> oh. Dare I say that? <laughs> As we wrap, uh, we'll ask yes. you to do three things. Not you, uh, Siobhan, but our, our audience. One, check out Rushed on Amazon, on Apple, on demand. Be on the lookout for Shelter in Solitude coming to movie theaters shortly. Uh, and three, join us at wasn'tthatspecial.com as we walk through season by season. And uh, if my math is correct, we're on season three, you're season 17, we've got 14. So in 28 weeks or so, <laughs> as we release every other week, we will cover season 17 that features Siobhan Fallon Hogan. Siobhan. And I, I just would like to say one last thing. 
please watch Shelter in Solitude. Um, by the time this comes out, it'll be on streamers because the audience support of independent films is so important. Rush is on Amazon and all the streamers. Shelter will be too. It's going to be all over the country. And Robert Patrick and Peter Macon, Dan Castellata are amazing in it. And it's a great movie. And again, the new date is October 6th. So look for Shelter in Solitude in theaters, including an AMC and Regal theaters. October 6th, Shelter in Solitude, the upcoming film from Siobhan Fallon. Siobhan, thank you so much for joining us and being our very first guest, period. And of course, our very first SNL alum on Wasn't That Special. So nice to talk to you guys. There we are, Christian, our very first, but certainly not the last, former SNL cast member to join us here on Wasn't That Special. And that was a fun one to start with. It was very exciting. Uh, we also have, of course, our season episodes, part of what you can get if you join us over at wasn'tthatspecial.com. Sign up via Substack monthly, save some money by going annual, or you can join us and be an executive producer. Christian, a brand new executive producer privilege <laughs> advantage is going to start with our next episode. Yeah, I think uh, we are going to reach out to you folks and ask you what you would like us to cover on the next episode of Wasn't That Special. So you are going to have a hand in what we talk about, which is pretty exciting. Uh, being an, a real, honest-to-goodness executive producer. What do you want to hear? <laughs> we will try to cover it on the next Season 5 episode of Wasn't That Special. If you are an executive producer, you also get access to... Uh, some of the material we use to prep for these shows, some of the sketches we reference, we'll give you links directly to them in an email. Also, all sorts of our notes that don't make it onto the actual show so you get deeper inside of our brains as we think about these seasons of Saturday Night Live. All that at the executive producer level over at wasn'tthatspecial.com. We invite you to join us there, wasn'tthatspecial.com. Dot com and find us on Twitter at 50 years of SNL or on X at five zero years of SNL. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time on wasn't that special. <laughs>